Has President Trump just given some parents in the military a new reason to worry? The lead starts right now. One Navy officer says military spouses are freaking out over a new rule that could make it more difficult for children of service members living abroad to become U.S. citizens. Trump administration official Ken Cuccinelli will join me live. He said it was the God's truth, but a new report says Joe Biden mixed up almost every detail of a moving anecdote he often tells on the campaign trail. Plus, President Trump reportedly considering a new plan that would get him in Putin's good graces, but might make even his supporters mad. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Dana Bash in for Jake Tapper. We start with the national lead and the Trump administration changing the rules again, creating a new obstacle for some members of the military who risk their lives to serve the United States. Now, it may be harder for some of their children to become U.S. citizens. It's part of a pattern by this administration to crack down on legal immigrants, never mind illegal immigration. Just yesterday, two officials confirmed to CNN President Trump said he was willing to pardon any aides who might break the law trying to finish construction of his border wall. He ordered the raids on nearly 700 undocumented workers in Mississippi. The roundups left children crying, wondering what happened to their parents. CNN's Alex Marquardt breaks down the latest rule on legal immigrants serving America overseas. The new policy is being met with confusion, fear and anger as it takes aim at new and non-U.S. citizens who are serving the United States overseas. So we have service members at work today who didn't sleep well last night because they're worried about their families. They're worried about the citizenship of their own kids um, as they're supposed to be doing their jobs to protect the rest of us. The policy is complicated. At its core, it takes away a residency exception made for some people serving the U.S. only because they're overseas. The kids of natural-born citizens or those who have spent longer than five years in the U.S. won't be affected. Those who are impacted fall into three main groups. The children born to American parents serving overseas who have lived in the U.S. under five years will now need to apply for citizenship. The new children of parents serving the United States who only become citizens after the child is born, they too have to apply. And if U.S. citizen parents serving overseas adopt a foreign child while serving, that child also has to apply. This has nothing to do with um, people coming across the border without authorization. Uh, this has nothing to do with people who are threats to the United States. This is a specific policy to keep certain children of active duty military members from being U.S. citizens. The Pentagon says this will impact around 100 people per year. The Department of Homeland Security argues that it's far lower, around 25. Thousands of immigrants serve in the U.S. military, risking their lives. Troops and their families don't have much of a say over where they're deployed. So the new policy is, in essence, a punishment. Having served alongside immigrants who felt that patriotic call to serve, uh, it's a total insult to their service. And Dana, we have to note that this new policy is not making anyone ineligible for citizenship. And the Department of Homeland Security says it's just aligning itself with current State Department policy. But what this does, it does create a headache, a lengthy process of applying for citizenship for these kids with lots of paperwork for their parents who have asked to serve the United States and then are apparently being penalized for doing so. Dana.
Alex, thank you so much for that report. Joining me now is Acting Director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, Ken Cuccinelli. So these are Americans working for the U.S. government, being sent overseas by the U.S. government to serve the U.S. government. So why are they targeted with this policy? Uh, well, you use the word targeted, Dan, and I take real offense to that. We have brought ourselves in compliance with the law. And as was noted at the very end of that report, uh, we've made ourselves consistent with the Department of State. So what was going on before was that the USCIS uh, approach to uh, working these children up to be citizens was not consistent with the State Department's or the law. So we were acting illegally. We've brought ourselves into compliance with the law. And so what was happening and what's happening now is you get your documentation from USCIS and you could go to the State Department, bring that child, and they wouldn't give them a passport as a U.S. citizen because they, they weren't legally qualified as a U.S. citizen. Now, all of that will mesh together correctly. This only applies to about 20 or 25 people a year. And no one should for a moment think this incredibly pro-military president would ever do anything like I just listened to minutes of attacking, oh, this is another attack, it's another attack. This is complying with the law in a way that actually, uh, where there was still paperwork required before, there's paperwork required okay, so after, you're saying it was, now it will work better. Okay, so you're saying it's complying with the law. I'm going to ask you about that in a second. But this is what you, you all released, a half a page, which did link to uh, a, a longer policy manual, but on it, this is what created the concern and the chaos and I, among military I officers. fully, well, no, what created it was the firestorm. The, no, no military members went reading the policy. Firestorm was created by the confusion in what you all were doing. Fair? No. What, so you the firestorm was, was created. No, I don't think it was clear. I just said it was a policy manual. This is like a reference manual for the profession, career professionals who process this paperwork. And they had paperwork to do before this change takes effect, and they have paperwork to do after. Uh, the, the, again, the last comment wasn't accurate. Again, these are people who have just changed the process. No one is denied citizenship who has access to it before. It doesn't apply to anyone born in this country. It doesn't apply to people born to American uh, citizens overseas. And you all have zeroed in on the military, but it doesn't just fit for military members. It applies to civilians and others fair, as well. Fair, but the military... expatriates. Okay, but it is members, uh, people who are serving the U.S. military, asked to go overseas by the U.S. government in service of America. And those folks actually have a statutory provision just for them that all that time overseas under orders counts as if they were in the United States for purposes of their children's So that's the case, then, then, then why the change... Again, this is this is chaotic. I mean, this is, it is this is not it, the first time I, we have I, seen I this freely kind of chaos. Can see, oh, and and you, as I heard the lead in, that's all President Trump's fault. This is a complicated area of law. Paperwork is required to comply with the law. It only applies to children born in another country who were not born U.S. citizens. So it it doesn't affect birthright citizenship. It doesn't affect anybody born in the United States. Legal or illegal parents, doesn't matter, doesn't affect any of them. These are children born who, when they were born, were not U.S. citizens, who were trying to be made U.S. citizens by their parents. And it's the paperwork they have to file. But it That's also, it. but it does delay 
No, eligibility. It, cha it changes what they have to do. They have to have, okay, so there's a, what this was about legally was the definition of in residence. So you're not residing right. in the United States if you're on a military base. Right, so base. if they're sent a, by the finish, U.S. please? Sure. If, they're, if you're in another country, you, on a military base, that is not in residence under the statute. Congress set these rules. We didn't set these rules. We've been breaking the rules uh, for the, to make it easier for people, and then they couldn't get passports. So now we're, we're meshing all of that together. So when they get their documentation through USCIS, they will smoothly be able to operate with the State Department, and those children will more easily travel back to the United States. Okay, so now I'll finish my question, question which was, is it a fact that the people who are going abroad and, and in service of the United States, asked by the U.S. to do that, are because of that being their, their children's residency or citizenship is being delayed because they are not in the U.S. because the government asked them to do that? Uh, well, first of all, there's two categories, military and civilian. Okay. And I, I mentioned the military. Mm -hmm. They have their own special statute. For civilians, um, it would only be if the parents weren't U.S. citizens. And you still have to get, even if you're a U.S. citizen, you have to get, you have to get proof of the birth. You mm -hmm. still have to do paperwork. Um, nobody escapes paperwork, even U.S. citizens whose children are U.S. citizens. So let me just ask you. It's when they're not a U.S. citizen born in another Part of the country. reason why the, the freak out, frankly, is because this isn't happening in a vacuum. This is a change that came after another change in legal uh, immigration that you put in place since you came into the administration a few weeks ago, uh, making it harder to get into the country, to visa and, and green card, uh, if it means getting federal assistance. And you said after that, uh, now famously, the Statue of Liberty should say, give me your tired, your poor, who can stand on their own two feet and who will not become a public charge. Of course, I didn't say that. So I answered a reporter's question. You read the first few words of what you just read. I didn't say that's what it should say. I, I deal with the law, not poetry. Okay, fair. You're not, you're not, a, you're not a poet, but the point is, is that the law, which you deal with, changed. And again, it's, it's on the heels no, of that. The law did not change. Yeah. The regulation implemented a law passed on a bipartisan basis in 1996 using 140 years. The rule legal to tradition. implement the law changed. And That's so true. that is part of a pattern. That's why th people are, think when they saw the change and it wasn't clear, they said, oh, this might be part of the pattern. <laughs> that started headline, earlier this week. The, the headlines this didn't month. say this might be. This, the headlines were declaring all over that deny, we were denying, and you know this, you saw it yourself, I'm sure. Citizenship will be denied to the children of military men. I mean, those are headlines all over the place, and that was never true. Citizenship anywhere. delayed is the problem. That is not right what headlines say were saying yesterday. But is that the right way to say today. it? No, it isn't. No, paperwork changed to get citizenship. But as your own reporter said, the one thing he did get right is that no one who before this paperwork change went into place could get citizenship can no longer get okay. citizenship. You might be they talking about headlines that we have very good immigration reporters. We, they I listened to the report as they I sat here. They understood it. About one last question before I go. One, la one last thing before I go. Um, you, you said in a tweet, this is not about birthright citizenship. And, right. it's, and it's not. The president, though, separately has hinted in recent weeks more about changing birthright citizenship. Are you on a path to doing that in the Trump administration? Nothing we're doing in my agency, USCIS, is, is related to that or is pursuing that. Nothing we're doing right now.
And do you have any information about it? I run my agency, and I have no other information other than what you've seen publicly. Ken Cuccinelli, thank you for coming in. Dana, good to be with you. Thank you for explaining it. Appreciate it. The former vice president has a war story he likes to tell on the campaign trail, closing with, quote, my word as a Biden, but a new report says the specifics of his story are mostly wrong. Plus, with a hurricane on the way, President Trump's message for Florida is very different than his message for Puerto Rico. That's ahead. It's a powerful story former Vice President Joe Biden tells on the campaign trail, including just six days ago. But according to The Washington Post, it's actually a story that's made up of three different events that Biden has conflated into a single incident. Take a listen. I've been in and out of Afghanistan and Iraq over 30 times. I pinned medals on silver stars on soldiers up in the upper Konar Valley in the middle of a firestorm the poor guys have gone through. Young Navy captain, Navy, Navy, up in the mountains in the Konar Valley in Afghanistan. One of his buddies got shot, fell down a ravine about 60 feet. Four-star general asked me whether I'd go up into the fob. Now, everybody got concerned of vice president going up in the middle of this, but there was, we can lose a vice president. We can't lose many more of these kids. Not a joke. This guy climbed down a ravine, carried this guy up on his back under fire, and the general wanted me to pin the silver star on him. I got up there and stand. This is God's truth. My word is a Biden. He stood his attention. I went to pin him. I said, sir, I don't want the damn thing. Do not pin it on me, sir. Please, sir. Do not do that. He died. He died. The Washington Post found that Biden was a senator, not the vice president, when he visited Kunar province, Afghanistan, in 2008. The service member honored in that instance was an army specialist, not a Navy captain, and Biden did not pin the medal on him. Biden did award the Bronze Star to then-Staff Sergeant Chad Workman in 2011 for his heroic actions in Afghanistan. Biden responded to the Charleston Post and Courier late this afternoon, saying, quote, I don't understand what they're talking about, but the central point is it was absolutely accurate what I said. The story was that he refused the medal because the fellow tried to save and risked his life saving, died. That's the beginning, middle and end. The rest of you guys can take it and do what you want with it. We are back with our panel. Paul Bagala, I'm going to start with you because uh, I want to ask you, if you were inside the Biden campaign right now, what would you do? I would play a movie called, I looked it up, A Wing and a Prayer. Mm. And in that movie, there's a scene where a B-17 bomber pilot is going down, the plane's going down, and there's a wounded crewmate. Crewmate can't escape. And so the pilot reaches over and takes his hand and says, never mind, son, we'll ride this down together. That pilot won the Congressional Medal of Honor. Now, that's That's a movie. Ronald Reagan told that story word for word to a room full of Congressional Medal of Honor recipients, and we loved him. He was asked about it later. He said, well, I did see the movie. I might have seen it in Reader's Digest. And then he said, maybe I'd seen too many war movies, the heroics of which sometimes I confuse with real life. Well, maybe Joe Biden's seen too much real life heroics, and he's conflated and confused him. I'm not for Biden or against him. I don't have a candidate in this. But I, I, think, I think Joe should embrace this. He has been in Afghanistan uh, more times than, than almost anybody I know who's not in the service. He ought to embrace it. So not a big deal? This is, a, this is like Reagan, not like Trump. Trump says he's the chosen one. 
I mean, apparently he's Jesus now, and, and we're supposed to think that's amusing. It's not the 1980s anymore, and this is a big problem, I think. The, the fact that it's not the 1980s anymore is going to be a problem for the, the Biden campaign. I mean, we now live in an era where when Hillary Clinton said, oh, I ran across a tarmac under sniper fire, that got proven to not be true and was a problem for her. When Brian Williams at NBC had sort of mixed up the details pertaining to over, being overseas in combat zones, that was a problem for him. You can't do this anymore. It's not the 1980s. That was about their heroism. Joe's talking about soldiers' heroism. It's a huge difference. Everything Trump lies about is about himself and his self-aggrandizing. Joe Biden got facts conflated and confused about service but, members' heroism. Having, That's fine with me. But it, I think... The problem he could run into is, you know, Trump obviously has a um, doesn't have much of a relationship with the truth in a lot of ways. And you can't it's going to be very hard for Democrats to have a candidate that has some similar issues, maybe not to the same scale, but it, it, it provides a contrast point. That could be problematic when you have other candidates that haven't done this, that haven't conflated anything, that haven't, you know, uh, uh, maybe pushed the truth a little bit too much. I think that. Uh it's not the 1980s. It's also a different time than just two cycles ago. So the fact that uh, a lot of Democratic strategists right now are trying to figure out if they're operating in a post-GAF world mm. in the political realm because of the fact that Trump has made some 12,000 or more false or misleading statements and continues to do so. And so whether or not it actually will hurt their candidate that much if they embellish here or there. And Biden has, yes, gotten locations wrong, but he claims that the essence of that story, the one about workmen, is accurate. And it appears to be, but he has repeatedly, there has been a pattern of him getting locations wrong, getting certain names wrong, and whether or not that actually even impacts him with the Democratic base. I mean, it, it is true. It's not a singular incident. It's a question about a pattern. And just on the raw politics of this, how does that play? If I'm Joe, I lean into it. I say, yeah, maybe I got one hero's uh, uh, heroism confused with another hero's heroism. You know what I won't do? I won't confuse neo-Nazis with very fine people. I won't confuse honorable immigrants with rapists and murderers. That's what Donald Trump... In other words, he's got to lean into this. If he plays not to win, if he becomes too risk-averse, he's going to make gaffes. He's Joe Biden, okay? But if he gets too risk-averse, that's when he's going to screw up and lose. I think he should, he should lean in and embrace it. I want to ask you just real quick, because you mentioned the question of a post-gaff world. Mm -hmm. you, you, as a pollster, do focus groups. You talk to, to, to voters... A lot. Is that a thing or is this is the ability to survive gaffes a Trump for Donald phenomenon. Trump? It's definitely a and thing. Not, it I mean, you see others. a turbulent news cycle. He says things that are way outside the norm of what we expect but, presidents will do. And his numbers don't move. I don't know if that's transferable to everyone else in American politics. Um, I think we we're going to learn this cycle. Is Donald Trump an aberration in the way he defies some of the laws of traditional political gravity? Or are we now? Has that just changed in the environment? I don't know. Even if the environment has changed, I'm still not sure that for Joe Biden, yes, his gaffes are in some ways sort of priced into where he stands in the polls now. Um, but can he expand beyond that about 30 percent of Democratic voters that support him if they worry about can he actually take on Donald Trump head to head in a general? OK, everybody stand by the newest proposal from President Trump that at least one Republican is calling unacceptable and wrong. That's next. The federal government are focused on the arriving storm. I have decided to send our Vice President Mike Pence to Poland this weekend. Uh, in my place, it's uh, 
something uh, very important for me to be here this storm. That was President Trump just moments ago announcing he is going to skip a planned trip to Poland because of Hurricane Dorian. And the president today is striking a radically different tone as Dorian strengthens and targets Florida. And this afternoon, the president is facing backlash, not just from Democrats, but also Republicans, for considering a move sure to make Vladimir Putin happy, as CNN's Pamela Brown reports from the White House. Two hurricane targets, two very different responses from the president. Today, Trump telling people in Florida their state's Republican governor, Ron DeSantis, has it under control. They're going to be totally ready. We have a great governor there. He's incredible, doing an incredible job. Very popular, too. A stark contrast to his reaction Wednesday as Hurricane Dorian barreled towards storm-ravaged Puerto Rico, tweeting their leaders are either incompetent or corrupt, adding he was the best thing that's ever happened to Puerto Rico. A reference to his two-year feud with Puerto Rico over the federal disaster response to Hurricanes Irma and Maria. Hurricane Dorian is now expected to strengthen to a Category 4 and is on track to hit South Florida where there are 11 Trump Organization-owned properties, including Trump's winter home, Mar-a-Lago, which last closed in 2017 during Hurricane Irma after a mandatory evacuation order. The Secret Service telling CNN, though, it does not maintain a permanent presence at his Florida properties, adding no classified materials are located there, and the Trump Organization is responsible for securing them. Meanwhile, the president saying today he plans to reduce the U.S. presence in Afghanistan by almost half. We're going down to 8,600. We're bringing it down. You have to keep a presence. That decision, despite lobbying for a complete withdrawal in the past, appeases some of his closest allies who have been sending him a warning. You may be tired of fighting radical Islam, but they're not tired of fighting you. There'll be another 9-11 if we pull the plug. But in a move sure to outrage his supporters and opponents on the Hill... Trump considering blocking $250 million in military assistance to Ukraine, sources tell CNN. It's a move that would be seen as favorable to Russian President Vladimir Putin. Congressman Adam Schiff calling the potential decision destructive to our national security. And administration sources say that the Pentagon has recommended to the White House to lift the hold on this military assistance to Ukraine. But despite that recommendation, the White House continues to have a hold on it. Dana? Pam, thank you so much for that report. Um, why do we think that he's changed from yesterday to today? Is, today? is the, the, the target has changed from Puerto Rico to Florida? You're, look at you smiling. Or is it that he got so much backlash for attacking Puerto Rico? I would go with uh, A. <laughs> uh, it, I, well, I mean, we, we've seen him uh, be unkind about Puerto Rico. We've seen the last couple of days. Um, it seemed at one point he was mad at Puerto Rico for being in the way of yet another hurricane. Um, he's been feuding with uh, the mayor of San Juan, which seems to be one of the roots of um, this whole Puerto Rico um, resentment that he has. And Florida's a different ballgame. Um, we've seen him... Uh, speed aid to Florida. Um, mm-hmm. There's one of his allies is the is you know the head of the government in Florida, Ron, Ron DeSantis. So it, it's 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 a very it's a very different story depending on where it's going. Never mind 29 electoral. Votes, it, it, right? In some ways, it's it's not as different a story though because there are an awful lot of folks from Puerto Rico who have come to live in the state of Florida, in my my home state. And Governor DeSantis, you may recall during the fall campaign, 
when President Trump was really publicly going after Puerto Rico last year, that was one of the moments mm-hmm. when yeah. then-candidate DeSantis, who had really embraced Trump very strongly, that was one of his first times publicly distancing himself. The politics of this, I mean, obviously not good for Puerto Rico, but not even in Florida is going after Puerto oh, Rico. Oh, no, and I wasn't saying that at all. Right. Yeah. I want to turn to a, to a different subject, and that's um, Paul's favorite subject, James Comey. Um, Today, the FBI Inspector General report found that Comey violated the FBI policy when he shared confidential memos containing classified information uh, with a friend after being fired by President Trump. Uh, I should also say that it that the uh, Inspector General said that he never released classified information. Um, Do you think that this is going to have any major impact down the road? Obviously, we know Republicans are already jumping on it. Yes, and the left is pretending that he's a hero because he attacks Trump. He was extremely careless with classified information. That's what he said about my friend Hillary Clinton, which was highly unethical. Mm. He made Trump president. He's got to live with that. Had he not intervened in the election, a contravening all Justice Department guidelines, traditions, and ethical practices, he weighed in in July and attacked Hillary He was investigating Hillary and Trump, never revealed that he was investigating the Trump campaign, never talked endlessly about Hillary, cleared her. She was cleared. And yet he attacked her. And then days before the election, he comes up with this cockamamie. Oh, I'm going to reopen the investigation, which tanked Hillary, gave the White House to Trump. So every time Mr. Comey wants to, to gripe about our president, he needs to look in the mirror if he wants to see how we got Donald Trump. Uh, The White House is responding in part, quote, because Comey shamefully leaked information to the press in blatant violation of FBI policies. The nation was forced to endure the baseless, politically motivated two-year witch hunt. Comey disgraced himself and his office to further a personal political agenda, and this report further confirms this fact. So what's key from this IG report, though, is that one of Trump's main lines of attack against Comey, which is that he leaked classified information, is not accurate. The IG found that he didn't leak classified information, which is prosecutable, like he would... It's, it, it's against the law, and so had that been the case, they would have brought charges forward, and they didn't. Yeah, that's a good point, but um, I think Paul's going to keep, keep hit the speech going for a few years. <laughs> I mean, it's During understandable. the commercial break, I'm still going to keep No, going. but it's understandable. <laughs> he, Comey has the, uh, the, the unbelievable, I guess, talent of making both parties extremely mad. So, all right, everybody stand by. Dorian could be the strongest hurricane to strike Florida's east coast in decades. What could make this storm even more dangerous That's next. Breaking news, President Trump has canceled his trip to Poland because of the threat posed by Hurricane Dorian. The storm is now on track to hit Florida as a major Category 4. After sideswiping Puerto Rico and damaging parts of the U.S. Virgin Islands, Floridians are scrambling to get ready. Lines snake around gas stations and stores in South Florida. Let's go to CNN meteorologist Tom Sater. Tom, how much of the Florida coast could get hit? Well, it could be the whole coast. I mean, really, Dan, it could be the Carolinas. It could be the Keys into the Gulf. I mean, this has been a fickle storm. If you ask us about five days ago if we would be talking about a Category 4, a lot of meteorologists say no way. But it's where we are. This is the acorn that will become the great oak tree. And if you look at the cone of uncertainty, it's all of Florida. And it extends into the Gulf. So please do not uh, believe that when you see the track moving and hitting one location, that that's where this is going to hit. I mean, winds right now at 85. I wouldn't be surprised this gets up to 150, 155 by the time it gets closer to the U.S. And uh, Dorian is, as you're showing there, over wide open warm water. 
Could it get right. even stronger because of that before making landfall? Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, not a big surprise from yesterday, but one of the changes was when you looked at the track, we had it at a category two, which should be later today, then category three, three and three at landfall. Not a surprise to see it go up to a category four. And mainly the reason is it's got open space. The small storm is going to get larger, but you go from temperatures in the water in the mid 80s to the upper 80s. And that's that Gulf Stream. So easily you can have just an eruption of strength. And real real quick, any chance for good news here that Dorian could weaken or make a sharp turn and go into the ocean? The European model here in yellow, this is the U.S. model, really slowed things down today. A little bit of a surprise. Anytime these storms slow down, it's anybody's guess. The American model has it just south of Cape Canaveral and Fort Pierce. And here's the European down by Nassau, Bahamas. That's changing constantly, even within the same model. So again, we've got to watch this each and every hour. We've got several days. A lot's going to change, most likely. Those models look a whole lot better for the state of Florida. Tom Sater, thank you so much for that. And it's a $2 billion business that some states and 2020 candidates are trying to get rid of. CNN investigates one powerful industry next. Criminal justice reform is a key issue on the 2020 campaign trail, and Democrats are turning their focus to the issue of bail. Senator Bernie Sanders tweeting, no one should be sitting in jail because they're poor. Cash bail is a disgrace that must must be abolished. But leaders of the bail bond industry are working to derail those reform efforts by states, giving money to lobbyists and politicians to keep their $2 billion business thriving. CNN's Drew Griffin investigates. $2 billion is roughly how much money the bail bond business reportedly takes in across the country every year. Who pays? underprivileged people, under arrest, who find themselves facing a decision. Sit in jail for months to await trial or pay a bail bondsman to get them out. Most people who are arrested are actually low-income or almost no-income individuals. And when we put a ransom on their liberty, it has a dramatic impact on people. Here's how the bail system works. Let's say you're arrested and the judge sets bail at $50,000. If you have money, you can pay it. Go free and get it back when you show up for your court date. If you don't have the money, you can sit in jail till trial or hire a bondsman to bail you out. The bondsman will likely charge you 10%, $5,000. That's a fee paid to a bondsman that you will never get back, even if you are not guilty, even if the charges are dropped. Add on interest from payment plans and fees, often the debt can last for years. Iowa District Judge Robert Hansen says the system is flawed. The thing that I know is that monetary bonds do not guarantee that the bad people stay in jail, and monetary bonds do not guarantee that the safe people are released. Many states are making changes to move away from relying on money bail, but CNN found out that the business that profits from the current system, the powerful bail industry, is working hard to stop reform. It has derailed, stalled, or killed reform efforts in at least nine states. One of the best examples, Iowa. A pilot program called the Public Safety Assessment Tool gave judges more information about defendants. And those deemed low risk could get out of jail without having to pay bail. Antoine Stewart, arrested for stealing beer, was able to walk to his job at a bakery every day while waiting for trial instead of sitting in jail. That's why I say it saved my life. CNN talked to more than a dozen officials in the Iowa justice system, corrections officials, judges, public defenders, who supported the program. But here is where Iowa's story takes a dark twist. 
because in the middle of last year's state budget process and out of the blue, this line was inserted into an appropriations bill which stopped Iowa's bail reform in its tracks. The public safety assessment pilot program shall be terminated. It turns out behind the scenes there was an explanation. You just had to follow the money. Lederman bail bonds didn't like the program because there were defendants, uh, people being held in jail that were getting out of jail without having to post any type of a bond. They were losing business. That's it. Market share. Lederman Bail Bonds, a huge bail bonds company in Iowa with 150 agents across the Midwest and a drive through service just outside the gates of Iowa's Polk County Jail. It's run by the Lederman Brothers. This is Jacob in Des Moines who told us to talk to his brother Josh. Josh in Davenport declined interview requests. CNN did some digging and it turns out the Lederman's may have decided money would do their talking. Since 2017, Josh Lederman has paid a powerful Iowa lobbying firm more than $74,000. He's also donated more than $36,000 to Republican campaigns in 2018. That's more money donated in one year than he spent in the past 15 years combined. And Josh Lederman, for the first time ever last year, made a donation to a Republican representative in rural Storm Lake, Iowa, named Gary Worthen. Worthen's district had nothing to do with the pilot program, but he submitted the amendment to the budget bill to kill the program. Worthen is co-chair of the Justice System Appropriations Subcommittee. Representative Worthen, this is Drew Griffin with CNN. Thanks for picking up the call. Worthen would speak only reluctantly by phone. Can you just explain why you were trying to, or why you did, get rid of the public safety assessment pilot program? Well, uh, I'm from your tone of voice. You've already decided what uh, what direction this article's taken, and I'm not here to be misquoted or uh, having my comments taken out of context. Uh, this is why I don't want to be associated in any way with CNN. This year, Gary Worthen once again included language in the budget bill making it nearly impossible the program will ever restart. What's still unanswered, Dana, is why the program was killed, especially in a budget bill. The pilot program didn't require funding and was designed to collect two years' worth of data to determine if it was even working. Republican lawmakers killed this program before anyone could even find out. Dana? We think she just did, Drew. What a great report. Thank you so much. And up next, the video posted on a Republican Party Facebook page that's being called deeply disturbing. Today, a controversial video Jewish groups call anti-Semitic was taken off a local Republican Party Facebook page. The video falsely warns Hasidic Jews are plotting a takeover, as CNN's Jason Carroll reports. The Facebook ad is punctuated by dramatic music, images of overdevelopment, and critics say littered with anti-Semitic messages. The ad was released by the Rockland County Republican Party and was supposed to draw attention to the ongoing debate over development in Rockland County, about 25 miles north of New York City. Hell no. 
this is not the way to do it. It's not the way to do it. It's, it reminds most people of the same movement as extremists as the Ku Klux Klan in the Deep South, as well as Nazi Germany. The ad uses phrases such as, a storm is brewing, saying that what is at stake is our way of life, claiming if they win, we lose. They are Rockland County's Orthodox Jewish community, many of whom have settled into this bedroom community over the years. And a number of local leaders say they have been developing homes and places of worship with little regard for zoning restrictions. Just this month, a New York State Senate report found a build first, ask permission later mentality within the town and local municipalities. That has created tension here. Still, a number of local leaders say there is no excuse for that ad. The core of the problem of trying to scapegoat the Hasidic community here in Rockland County for every real or perceived problem uh, is still happening within uh, the political class. New York Attorney General Atisha James called for the video to be removed, saying it was deeply disturbing, adding that attacking those who are different than we are only breeds hate. The Rockland County GOP removed the ad from its Facebook page late this morning. Its chairman, Lawrence Garvey, saying in part in a statement, regardless of your thoughts of the video, there are facts that cannot be ignored. This is not, nor has it ever been, a religious issue. Garvey did not apologize for the video. We visited his office, but he declined our repeated request for an interview. Mr. Garvey should not be a chair of the Republican Party. I would like to see a public apology for the offensiveness nature of it and causing almost a civil unrest for doing this. And Dana, one of the local legislators that was targeted in this ad says it's not enough for the local GOP to remove it. He says they need to denounce it. Dana. Jason Carroll, thank you so much for that report. And you can follow me on Twitter at DanaBashCNN or tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.